Here's a few tips on improving driver retention. Driver retention is the other half of the never-ending battle. You can recruit drivers all you want, but if you can't hang on to them, it's like trying to fill a water bucket with a hole in it. Hi, I'm Jim Park. This is HGT Talks Trucking, Season 3, Episode Number 6. We have a couple of retention experts with us this time. They maintain that better communication is the best way to slow the exodus of drivers. Make sure the driver and the company are a good fit from the beginning and later in the relationship by being open about problems and issues drivers are having and what the fleet is doing to resolve them. It sounds simple, but it takes some effort and some imagination. In the second half of this episode, I'll be speaking with Jane Jaswari. She's the co-founder and CEO of Carrier's Edge and the creator of the Best Fleets to Drive For program. But first, Brad Fulton and Allison Smith, both of Staymetrics. Brad is the Director of Research and Allison is a Client Solutions Analyst. Their driver surveys have led to some unique insights into the reasons why drivers are apt to leave a carrier at certain points within their tenure, say three months, six months, a year, and even five years out. Allison and Brad are coming up right after this. Count on HDT to bring you the latest news on COVID-19 and lots of original reporting from our award-winning editorial team. Our coverage includes market reports, reader surveys, webinars, and more. Check out our COVID-19 Information Center links on truckinginfo.com. Brad, thanks for joining us on HDT Talks Trucking. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Uh, Stay Metrics spent a lot of time looking at why newly hired drivers leave carriers within the first 90 days. Um, among some of the problems you cited in your research were unmet expectations. Uh, you included some instances in those discussions that um, maybe included less home time than the drivers expected, uh, longer dwell times at docks, and fewer miles than the drivers were led to expect in the first place. In many cases, these are drivers' perceptions. What do you think is happening here? Uh, has the carrier misstated or misrepresented what the drivers should expect? Or were the drivers mishearing or misinterpreting what was said by the carrier? Um, so I think that um, there are cases in which, um, you know, the carrier is misrepresenting um, the truth. But I, I, I actually think that's the exception rather than the rule. Um, I think most carriers are really trying to put their best foot forward. You know, when you're talking about your company, you sort of, you know, you want to, you know, give yourself all the benefits of the doubt, right? So you're putting your best foot forward, showing your best self. But, I mean, I think there can be what I would say a misalignment of messaging. And, and oftentimes I think that that's just really, uh, it, it's not intentional. Um, and it's really driven by, uh, incentives. So think about, you know, like different roles, like, like a recruiter, you know, a recruiter is incented to get, you know, people coming in the door, get a stream of drivers coming in. And so, you know, in doing that, they're, they're going to present themselves a certain way. Um, trainers, uh, dispatchers, uh, safety folks and HR folks, they all have very different, um, incentives that are sort of tied to their roles, you know, and, and, and so this misalignment in the messaging can happen very naturally and very subtly, uh, but in ways that, um, you know, can come across to drivers uh, sometimes as intentional. So, you know, it might be very in, unintentional. I, I, and I, I suspect most of the time that's what's going on. I'll toss this question over to you, Allison. 
let's talk about timelines. If the driver is unhappy with some aspect of life at the new company, when are they most likely to pull up stakes and leave? Is it during the first three months or six months, maybe? Uh, do their reasons for leaving change from the early part to the later months of their first year of employment? So we have a couple of really great tools that we've been developing at Symmetrics uh, in order to maybe get to the heart of this issue exactly. Uh, the first tool that we have is what we call our day days table. And through that, we found that really the most critical period uh, is the first three months or 90 days on the job. Uh, on average, when we look at all of the hires uh, that we've, uh, we have from our carriers on our program from 2018 on, about 66% of those drivers did stay with their carriers for the first three months. But we are starting to see that trend start to decrease a little bit, at least for the drivers that were hired since the beginning of 2019. Uh, we do see that rate kind of decrease to about 64% staying. And those trends that are, are starting to appear where fewer drivers are maybe staying longer with their carriers are starting to are continuing to hold out. Uh, when we look at all of the drivers hired between 2018 and early 2020, we see that about uh, half of them would stay for the first six months or 180 days. But we are, again, seeing that trend decrease. When we look at just those drivers hired uh, as of or by January of 2019, only about 47% of them are staying. So it seems like drivers are getting a little bit less sticky with those uh, carriers that they're starting with at least those that were more recently hired on. Any idea why that's happening? Yeah, of course. We uh, also have another tool that we use to kind of dig in and, and figure out what may be causing that turnover for these different drivers. And we did look at it based off of our of the driver's tenure with their company and notice a few uh, kind of different issues at different tenure benchmarks. Within the, the first th zero to three months of tenure, drivers appear to be more focused on the number of miles that they're getting and if that, uh, if that is about what they were promised. So it seems like it's clear for this group that they're really driven by the amount of pay or compensation they're going to be getting and as a result going to be more focused on the amount of miles or the amount of loads uh, or however their, their uh, pay is calculated uh, in terms of the amount of work that they're getting. Okay. Once the drivers get to about three months and through their first year on the job, we did notice that the three strongest drivers of their commitment to the company relate to the carrier actually having their best interest in mind, looking out for them, and actually caring about their success. So do they see that their, their carrier is, you know, doing things that they recognize as, you know, things that they are doing to make sure that the driver is going to be successful financially, they're going to have a good, uh, a positive career, and they're going to be able to take care of, of their family and any other financial obligations that they may have. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that seems natural enough that uh, once you're over the first hurdles with the new company, um, your next phase is probably to make sure that, that it's going to stay that way. Yes. Definitely. And we start to see that kind of uh, continue as we look to drivers who are within their uh, their first year to five years with their company. We start to see that they're, they're really starting to pay attention to the leadership of the company. Whether or not they have faith in that leadership has a really strong relationship to their commitment to the company. And it may be a sign that they're not only interested in their own success at that point, but they want to make sure that the carrier that they have signed on with and they're working with is also going to be successful. And then it's a good idea to maintain a long-term relationship with that carrier. This one's for you, Brad. 
If a carrier does a driver survey and identifies a few issues that really cannot be changed, should the carrier just dismiss those issues or sit down with the drivers and try and find some common ground or maybe fix part of the problem? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, My response to that would be taking steps to fix something and actually fixing it are two different things. So uh, what I mean is, is, like, don't brush something under the carpet uh, just because you think you can't do anything about it, right? So drivers will read that. They'll see that, and they'll read that as apathy. So when we told you the problem, you didn't do anything about it. So and even if you, you, know, you deeply care about the issue, it, don't sort of make that visible to the drivers that can read that as apathy because, you know, they don't know, right? So you really need to show... What's going on? And be, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of transparency. Be very transparent about what you're doing, what your, you know, what your messages are, what you're trying to um, accomplish, the things that you're trying to fix, the things that you're having a hard time fixing. Uh, so one approach would be called focus group. I'm a big proponent of focus groups um, because it's just it's it's a nice forum. It's a very visible sign that you're trying to do something. Um, so get a, you know, maybe like a couple of them, say, say two groups of maybe five to 10 drivers present the problem and then say, discuss, what are your experiences of the problem? And then ask them as a follow-up, you know, part two of the focus group, what are some solutions? Ask for some creative ideas, some things that you may never have thought about. Sometimes that can present something that maybe is maybe not a great fix, but something to take a step forward, um, and document everything. Prepare some sort of a summary material, you know, a one-pager or a, uh, an email or a couple of emails that shows what you tried to do, even if you couldn't identify a solution, right? You say, you know what, we have these focus groups, still sort of at a quandary, and just say that, you know. You don't have to show, you don't necessarily have to fix it in order to show that you're trying to fix it. Um, and I, I think a lot of carriers don't think about that. Uh, and, and so what are the drivers going to say? Well, you say, you know, in that, in that communication, you say, okay, well, but we're not going to hang this up. You know, let's keep trying. So, you know, here maybe pro- provide some sort of an open forum, you know, like um, if anyone wants to get together to talk about it or, um, you know, send an email here uh, and uh, if you have some ideas and we'll consider them. And so they, you know, and so they sh- you show that you're, you're not hanging it up. You're, you haven't identified a solution yet, but you're being transparent. Just lay it out there. And getting them involved in that process has got to be positive, too, because now they're a, a contributor to the solution. They see themselves as part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely right. Active, you know, promoting, active, you know, giving it to them. You know, here's the problems. We're having a tough time. What are solutions? And all of a sudden, they own the problem and they own the solutions. So, um, and, and another thing is, um, there's, there's a difference between an issue being a problem and an issue being important to the driver. And that's a really, really key thing that I think a lot of people miss. So it's, it's, so here's just a really quick example, taking you outside of driver into a hospital setting. Okay. So, and this, this, I've found that this little example speaks very loudly. So let's say you're going to a hospital for knee surgery. Okay. So you go in and you have a typical, typical hospital experience. Everything goes well. No problems. You get the knee surgery done. You go home and you get a survey in the mail. 
Okay. And it asks you about all the different asks about the doctor, asks you about how you like the room. Uh, and then two very important pieces. It asks you about the food and it asks you about the nursing. Okay. Now, let's say the nursing was good. It wasn't great, it was good. So some room for improvement. The food, however, we all know how hospital food is. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. Okay. It, it it's kinda it's basically average. But there's a reason that it never improves, okay? Because hospitals know that that's not the reason you go back to the hospital. You go back to the hospital for the nurses. The nurses actually are one of the number one drivers of people, you know, repeat business of a hospital, not like any of us want to go back. But So it's like the food you're doing worse on, but patients don't really care about it. It's, you're doing better on the nursing, but that's really where you want to put your quality improvement efforts. So that's a, that's a big aha moment, I think, for a lot of carriers. So fix what you can and what's going to make a difference and let slide the stuff that uh, you really can't do anything about or it's not going to produce the benefit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and transparency. Okay. Transparency. Okay. And one more for you, Allison. Uh, can you share any examples of where a carrier was able to resolve some of the issues that the drivers reported in their surveys or, uh, you know, addressed directly with the carrier? Yeah, uh, we had a carrier with a bit of a smaller issue that they noticed in their survey. They had some drivers that were slip feeding in their tractors. They had them complaining a bit about the cleanliness of the equipment that they were getting into each day, and it wasn't making them overly happy. Um, so that carrier took that that information uh, to their maintenance department, and they developed a, a really nice uh, cleaning and detailing process to make sure that all of the trucks were cleaned out. And they came up with a really uh, kind of unique or interesting idea. Um, when you buy a car at a used car dealership, you normally look in the bottom of the, the at the bottom of the car, and you see those paper floor mats that they use that kind of shows that the car has been detailed by their uh, by their detailing department. Uh, this company actually went out and they purchased all the, a bunch of those paper formats. And they went ahead and they put them in the trucks every time that they cleaned them. And it was a, a very clear sign to drivers that, you know what, yep, we heard you. We, we, we understand that you guys, you deserve a, a clean workspace every time that you come into, the, come into work in the morning. And we're going to show you that not only are we going to detail the truck, but we want to make sure that you can hold us accountable to, to detailing it. And you'll know that it was done every day by finding these uh, these paper formats on the floorboards. That's pretty cool. Yeah, if I could, sorry, just jump in really quick. I I, I think that the, the that point that Allison made about, you know, making it visible, you know, what you're doing for your clients, making that visible. And, and even if it's just, you know, messaging it somehow on a, on a one one page uh, you know document or uh, a couple emails or something like that. I think that that really really is important. Uh, yeah, I would think so too because a lot of good intentions go unnoticed if you don't broadcast them a little bit. Any others, Allison? Yeah, one other really great example. It was actually my favorite example of of all times since I've been working with our clients. Uh, we actually had a carrier that had a hunch that maybe there was a certain uh, set of their drivers or portion of their drivers 
that was working to deliver for a specific customer that maybe were a little bit more dissatisfied with their pay. But unfortunately, you know, you can't really control uh, the rates as much. You know, if the, if the customer isn't willing to give any uh, additional money to, to the carrier, they can't really pay the drivers anymore. And they didn't really have any evidence to show that, the, show that customer that, that those drivers specifically were having an issue with their compensation until their drivers took our survey and we were able to break those responses out and show them the, re- the results for just those drivers who are working with that specific uh, shipper or customer. And we actually were able to take our, our survey report and show that customer, hey, look, you know, these drivers are the ones that are working for you and here's what how their satisfaction with their compensation compares to the rest of our drivers. You know, we really need to do something to work with you, work with you guys. We want to keep these drivers on. They were actually able to negotiate a raise uh, for those drivers, getting more money, uh, more money for those drivers than they had initially hoped to get out of that customer. So kind of a really happy end of the story. The drivers were able to get a little bit more money for the hard work that they were doing. Uh, Allison Smith and Bradley Fulton, thanks both very much for uh, spending some time with us here on HGT Talks Trucking today. I sure appreciate it. Hope this helps some of the carriers who are listening. Well, thank you, Jim. We appreciate the time. We'll do it again yeah, sometime. Thank you so much, and, and we hope to talk to you soon. Take care. Still to come on this episode, Jane Jesuari of Carrier's Edge. She's up right after the break. Don't go away. There's more going on in trucking today than just COVID-19. Stay on top of what's happening in trucking with HTT's award-winning news coverage and technical features. We offer webinars, market reports, reader surveys, and more. Stay on top of your game with truckinginfo.com. This is HTT Talks Trucking, and I'm Jim Park. We're talking now with Jane Jeswari. She's the co-founder and CEO of Carrier's Edge. It's an online driver training system used by fleets across Canada and the United States. Each year, they conduct a contest of sorts called the Best Fleets to Drive For. Uh, That's where carriers with uh, top performance in driver recruiting and retention uh, get to show off some of their skills. So, Jane, what is Best Fleets to Drive For, and how do carriers come to find themselves on such a list? Well, the best place to drive for is an annual survey of trucking workplaces in North America. And we ask drivers to nominate their companies. Then we invite those companies to complete an evaluation process. We have to get a certain percentage of their drivers to fill out surveys as well. And so the list is the top 20 of the group who uh, enter and it is the top scoring, the top 20 scores. So we score the questionnaire, the driver surveys have a score. We also use safety and retention scores in sort of at the at a very small portion of it. We calculate all that all up and then we have a top 20 every year. The fleets on your list are obviously doing something right. Uh, let's put this turnover thing into perspective though, looking at the industry in general and then at the companies on the uh, best fleets to drive for list. In the third quarter of 2019, the annualized rate for turnover in large carriers, that's with $30 million in revenue or more, was 96%. At the same time, uh, the fleets on your list, the annual turnover rate was just 32%. That's a third of the national average. There's obviously something at play here. Yes, definitely. So just as background... There's a lot of fleets who won't participate in bus fleets because of their turnover numbers. So 
our turnover numbers are going to be lower anyway because there's self-selection going on. This year, we had about 15% of fleets who had over 80% turnover. But in general, they have lower turnover. And it's not necessarily that they are um, aiming for those numbers. They're aiming to have more driver satisfaction. And the lower turnover is a result of that. But what they do is they try to make sure, not so much thinking about turnover, they think about how they're going to make their people happy. And one of the biggest ways they do that is communication. And they do that through surveys. They do it through town hall meetings. They do it through executive calls to all the new drivers. So drivers feel like they're being listened to, which is a huge, huge differentiator between a fleet who has low retention and a fleet who has high retention. Now, is that just sort of feel-good stuff? Or do these fleets, are these actually actionable items that the fleets respond to when the drivers uh, provide their feedback? Oh, definitely actionable. The best, um, one of the... One of the fleets who has been the overall winner for three years, Fremont Contract Carriers, they've been around, like they've been in the Pest Fleets program for 10 years, and they were the one of the earliest overall winners. And one of the things that they said really, really early on is that they always respond to the driver's questions or complaints or suggestions. They always have a response from the executive, a personal response and thanking them and telling them what they're going to do. And that's the, one of the patterns that we've seen all the, throughout is that you give, it, you give people, drivers and other staff actually, give people a venue to say what they think. So that can be in a survey, it could be in a conference call, town hall meeting, whatever it is that you're going to do. Then you decide about what you're going to do about it. And then the third step is always communicate back. Tell people what you're going to do. And so many companies don't do that third step. They just, they get the suggestion, they think about it, they decide to do it or not do it, but they don't say, say anything. Yeah. And all of these drivers are geographically dispersed. They're way far away. So unless you say something, they're not going to know. I discussed this earlier in the first half of the podcast with Brad Fulton from Staymetrics, and I'd like to get your take on it too. Sometimes, somewhere in the messaging the driver gets from the carrier during the recruiting or onboarding process, there can be room for uh, misinterpretation. In your experience, are some carriers guilty of overselling the job, not being completely transparent about it, or are drivers only hearing the parts of the discussion they want to hear? In other words, we have the potential here for sort of unmet expectations. So are unmet expectations a significant reason for uh, early driver departures? That's a good question, and I think it's interesting the way you phrased it, and you're not alone in how this is phrased, is are drivers expecting too much and are carriers not doing enough? Well, it seems I, to me if you promise them the moon and then fail to deliver, uh, you're setting the whole process up for failure. Yes, I think that processes get broken. Like Just like I said about the communication process, you get broken processes. I don't think... Um, drivers' expectations are, you're not going to change those. Those are expectations. People are going to have different expectations based on how they want to live. So 
it's a real difficult process to make sure that everybody knows exactly what can be offered to a driver. So that's operations, it's maintenance, it's uh, dispatch, it's planning, the routes, like there's so many things that a driver needs to know. And if you don't have really, really good communication within the company, so that recruiting and operations and sales and the executive, like everybody is on the same page, then that's how the drivers are going to get the wrong impression or get the wrong idea. And it might just be that the conversation happens that way between a recruiter and a driver. What the best fleets are doing to counteract that, that I've seen more and more often, is what's called an expectations exchange where sometime during that hiring slash orientation process, they have a discussion about what the carrier expects and what the driver expects. And they actually document those, those things. And sometimes it's done right at the recruiting part, like right at the beginning before anybody ever comes to orientation or starts that process. Sometimes the recruiter's doing that and saying, okay, this is what we have. What do you want? What are you looking for? And sometimes it can be with the executive. So in one um, MCS who's been on the list for 10 years has started this like years, like I think the first time that we ever talked to them, they were talking about this, where the last thing that happens before they start driving for MCS the COO sits him in their office, in his office, and with the spouse too, and says, This is what we expect. What do you expect? What are we going to do for you? And what are, we, uh, and what are you going to do for us? And they have that conversation, and that makes it so, so much easier as you go on. Well, based on the analysis that you do with the surveys and the discussions you've had with the carriers, what are the top two or three things that those top fleets to drive for do to manage retention? Well, it's funny because the top three things and the, and the worst three things are the same. <laughs> well, not they're, they're <laughs> Just in reverse, right? Kind of. Yeah. But um, the top reason that people like working at a company, and not necessarily just the best fleets, but this is all of the people, all the driver surveys that we get. The top reason that they think... Uh, that they like working for the company is pay, which is a really strange thing to say, but pay is, well, if you get paid. That's why we is, all go to work every day. Exactly. I, mean, I love what I do, but if I wasn't getting paid for it, I wouldn't be here. Exactly. But all of the top things, three things that people would change is also pay. So. <laughs> okay. That's uh, that's from the that's what they say. And that's a, it's not a selection list. It's a, what would you like? what do you like best and what would you like to see change the most? And, and now those two questions, most of the time it's pay. So pay is a really um, touchy thing in trucking. And I know there's a lot of companies who have started a guaranteed pay, which is, or a minimum weekly so that drivers aren't left with nothing or they don't feel like they're paying the company to drive for them. I've heard mm -hmm. people say that. Yeah. Um, uh, there's And if people go through the process and look at the driver surveys, they can see what people are saying about the pay because a lot of the time they're saying they would like to see more layover pay or more TARP pay or something like that. So sometimes they get very specific about what they want to see changed. So that's a really good place to start. The other thing, the second most thing that people like about their carrier is that it feels like family. 
it feels like, you know, they're treated as a name, not a number. They feel trusted. They trust their companies. And the opposite of that is communication. So that communication that I've been talking about is getting people on the same page and making sure that the drivers have the opportunity to talk to uh, the company or give suggestions or whatever. That's communication. And if you do it well, people feel like they're part of a family, part of a team. And I think it's really part of a team that, that they're talking about, that they have a camaraderie and it's, and it's easy to do your job. It's easy to talk to people. It's easy to ask for things. When you say you need to improve communication, it means nobody's listening to you. I don't feel heard. So those are those two things. And it seems very generic, but there are a lot of very specific things that you can do to help improve that situation that don't cost money. So fleets, when it comes to pay, just to take you back for a second, they're not necessarily asking for higher mileage pay, which probably most would if they had the chance to. But it's, a, I think, speaking as a former driver, a lot of the things that you do that go unpaid um, mm-hmm. are dispiriting. You know, when you recognize that your efforts and your work and, and what you what you do for a living aren't recognized somehow through, you know, a paycheck. Um, that's difficult. And, you know, when you go back at the end of the week or the end of two weeks to collect your settlement and you look at the trips and suddenly you're 20 miles short on this one and 15 miles short on that one and, oh, I didn't get paid to tarp here and I got no waiting time there, you have to go back and fight for your pay sometimes. Driver pay has become so complex. You almost need a degree to be able to figure it out. (laughs) Yes. And I understand where that's coming from. But the problem is, is that the way that the world works now, the model for driver pay based on piecemeal, uh, like where you can dispute whether you are eligible for that or not, I feel like an insurance company, um, that you can't, you can't do that anymore and have people satisfied. It's, and also, I think if you give people a, a minimum or you, you don't separate everything out, you basically just pay them for their time. That's going to make people a whole lot more satisfied. I tell you, the, one of the overall winners, actually both of the overall winners this year, Nussbaum and Boyle Transportation, they both have guaranteed pay. And actually Boyle is closer to a salary. Andrew Boyle, who's one of the co-presidents, basically said to me, I don't want them to have to worry about all of those nickel and dime things. I'm not nickel and diming my, my drivers. I want them to do the job the best that they can. And it's not, it's not their job to cover that. It's my job to cover that. That's not how he said it way better than I did, but it, that's the gist of it. And I think that that's a wonderful um, way to think about it is that really what do you want drivers to worry about? Before we wrap up, do you have maybe two or three suggestions for carriers on how they can up their retention game? If they want to up their game, hmm, this is a good question. I would add, the first thing that I would do if I was thinking, okay, I need to improve my company, I need to do something, everything's sort of falling apart, I have all this turnover, everybody you know, I'm getting bad press, all of this is happening, I would say, okay, first off, let's see what everybody thinks. And I would ask people, 
I would ask the drivers, I would ask the staff, I would do a, a series of town halls slash and do it with surveys and find out what people are saying at the grassroots level. How is this company functioning? Is it a good feeling when you come to work? Or if it's not, why isn't it? Like who is, who's making you feel bad? So just get the sense of where, what's happening. And there's so many tools that you have to do that. Like now everybody has become a Zoom expert. So there's Zoom, there's conference calls, there's SurveyMonkey, there, I know Staymetrics has their own service, um, where you can get that information from every single person at your company. And that's where I would start. And I would also, just a, one last thing, do the best fleets process because you will have the opportunity to not only gather the information about all the programs that your company offers or doesn't offer, but you also get a free driver survey. You get all your drivers surveyed and you can, and what we do at the end of it is we have a report that you can get that's 250 bucks. And we'll give you all the answers that you gave, um, score the comparative scores and all your driver survey results. Drivers will tell you what they think if you ask. So the secret is to ask. Jane Jaswari is the co-founder and CEO of Carrier's Edge. We've been talking about driver retention. Jane, thanks for that. I hope uh, Fleet takes some of that advice to heart. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, look out for when we start nominations if you want to be part of it. We'll keep an eye on those dates. Thanks again. HDTX is returning to Scottsdale, Arizona in November. Now in its fourth year, the event provides selected fleets and suppliers with the perfect environment for developing firm business relationships for the future. Join a group of highly successful fleet managers along with the 2020 HDT Truck Fleet Innovators at Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, November 16th through the 18th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn what HDTX can do for you and your fleet. Well, that's it for Season 3. I hope you enjoyed these six episodes. There are about a dozen more episodes in Seasons 1 and 2, plus our COVID-19 Special Report podcasts. If you haven't heard them already, please check them out and then head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends and co-workers on social media. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.